0: One of the more common expressions that we can hear said is, it's not my place to judge. It's something that Christians will say to try and extract themselves from what might be considered to be an uncomfortable situation or set of circumstances. It could be that they look around and they see that something, something is not quite right. But in the end it doesn't have a profound effect on them or any real implication for their life. So they hear this quiet voice whispering these words in the back of their heads. Perhaps they see circumstances and they believe that by speaking up and by speaking out they might step on toes or cause hurt feelings. They might end up offending someone. It could be that they just they feel intense societal pressures to say nothing to sit down and be quiet. So they simply shrug their shoulders and they say look, it's really not my place to judge. In a sense it's Intended to represent a kinder, gentler side of Christianity. One which abides by this principle of live and let live. Refusing to offend because, in the end, who are we to judge? But is this a proper Christian understanding? Does this represent the true nature of Christian love which we are intended to show others? Does this reflect the discerning spirit that we, as Christians, are meant to have? Or is it something else entirely? Is it an attempt to try and abjugate our responsibility for the sake of? Of peace without actually realizing the consequences of what it is that we're doing that's what we'll be exploring this week as we continue our series on popular Christian sayings and expressions I'm Wyatt McIntyre and this is our timeless faith How often have you heard the expression, it's not my place to judge, uttered? It's become one of those common expressions that we hear used in Christianity today. And to be perfectly honest, it's not terribly surprising that we do. After all, we live in a society, in a culture where the most egregious sin that can be committed is to tell someone that what they're doing or how they're behaving is wrong. We're supposed to be tolerant and loving. And that definition of tolerant and loving is to turn a blind eye and simply accept what other people are doing because in the end, it's their life. It's their choice to make. It's their truth, that they're exploring and living. And for the Christian, it becomes slightly more complicated, slightly more problematic, because there can be a certain stigma attached to the Christian faith in our world today. It's our world, after all, that tells us that Christians, they're nothing more than judgmental hypocrites acting out in anger and resentment, sometimes, sometimes it'll go even further. It'll argue that Christians, they live inside of a bubble looking at the world outside from a skewed, warped, perspective without really understanding it casting dispersions on individuals and groups lashing out in their anger based on bigotry and hatred that that's formed around archaic thoughts archaic notions that have been disproved, discredited, and have no real place in our society today. They're acting out based on an irrelevant faith and an irrelevant understanding of the world that's not applicable to our age. And those who make this argument those who make this argument will go even further. Because they'll try to use scripture to prove that what the Christian is doing is wrong. They'll try to paint them into a corner by saying, yes, you're basing your worldview on an archaic thought, but even as you do, you're misunderstanding what that archaic thought is actually telling you, what it's actually saying to you. So allow me to educate you. Allow me to school you in what the scriptures actually say so that maybe you'll be able to step away and, well, and just accept the world as it is. And so, oftentimes, they'll turn to, for example, Matthew 7-1. And they'll use the words of Christ where he states, Judge not that you be not judged. In other times, they will use verses 3 and 4, a little further down, where he goes on to say, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. It's an attempt to silence them. It's an attempt to shut the Christian down. And it has, in many senses, in many places, worked. It's worked so well that it's woven its way into Christian culture and thought, so much so that there are many who have just, in the end, thrown their arms up and said, it's not my place to judge. And you know what? It's easy to justify, because it sounds right, doesn't it? I mean, those who are stating this, they have a point, don't they? After all, they have scripture in the words of Christ himself to back them up. Well, not quite. And to understand what I mean by not quite, we have to actually step back and take a moment to look at Matthew 7. Because, well, because Scripture, it can be made to say anything that you want it to say when it's taken out of context. When you take a single passage here or a single passage there and you fit it into whatever point that you're making especially if you cherry-pick words and you say well I'll use this I'll use that and I'll just mash them together and I will then apply my own reasoning and understanding without a basic knowledge or understanding of Scripture here Here, as is so often the case, when we look at the Word of God, context is king. Christ, what we have to understand, is that Christ is not speaking about the world. Rather, he's speaking about judgment that is rendered against fellow Christians. This is apparent in his use of the word Adelphos, which is translated as brother. Its presence here is not unlike when Ach is used in the Old Testament, which is, in essence, meant to denote two individuals who have one and the same father. In this instance, that one and the same father is God the Father. After all, it was God the Father, as we read in Paul's epistle to the church in Ephesus, who predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. To this end, the Christian is not to judge or condemn his brother or sister in faith while they're blind to their own fault or to their own sin. It, after all, rejects a fundamental humility which is intended to mark the relationship that brothers and sisters in Christ that believers are intended to have with one another. It marks the individual as being carried by an arrogant sense of moral superiority that the disciple of Christ needs to reject. And yet, even in this, it doesn't mean that the Christian should never judge even other Christians' actions. It simply means that before one does, they should be aware of themselves and they should be aware of their own sin, allowing for that self-awareness to guide their interaction with the other individual. If the Christian, though, is never allowed to judge even the other Christian, the church itself would become untenable as church discipline would become impossible. What's more is that it would be a fundamental act of cruelty, one that didn't care for one's brother. Or for their spiritual well being. I think that the German martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer explained this best in his work Life Together, when he said, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Christians who live together, who stand together, who equip each other, they hold each other accountable, recognizing that a little sin, when left Unchecked can become a bigger and bigger one, taking a hold of them and not letting go, just strangling the life out of them. They then are to be deeply and profoundly concerned with the individual, with their brothers and sisters, and they're standing before God, desiring, desiring, hungering for them to live a sanctified life. And yet still, even in these situations, the Christian shouldn't be quick or hasty to judgment as they consider the actions of their fellow Christians. Augustine of Hippo, writing on the Sermon on the Mount, explained it like this. This carries the same intent as another passage. Pass no judgment before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the thoughts of the heart. And then everyone will have his praise from God. Some actions are indifferent, and since we do not know with what intention they are performed, it would be rash for any to pass judgment on them, and most rash to condemn them. The time for judging these actions will come later, when the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the thoughts of the heart. This means that if judgment follows them at once, it will not be rash judgment. But concealed sins follow judgment, because not even these will remain hidden in their proper time. And this is to be understood about good works as well. For he thus continues, In like manner also the good works are manifest, And what things are otherwise cannot be hidden. On things that are manifest, therefore, let us pass judgment. But with regards to hidden things, let us leave the judgment to God. For whether the works themselves be bad or good, they cannot be hidden when the time comes for them to be revealed. Augustine's warning is a good and proper one for the Christian in confronting the sins of their fellow Christian. It's a warning for them to look on their brothers and sisters with charity, understanding, and wisdom. On those things that are clear that are obvious to us, we pass judgment. But of those hidden things, we are best to leave the judgment to the Lord. The hidden purposes of the heart are not for us to gauge, nor are they for us to judge when we look to other Christians, particularly as we look upon them with regards to the superficial, or the non-spiritual. Only those things which we recognize, then, as being sinful, in accord with the Word of God, the objective, foundational measure of all truth, morality, and ethics. And we do so. We offer this judgment because to not offer it would be to put their souls at risk and this carries over to the world too the christian the christian is not intended to be neutral let me repeat that The Christian is not intended to be neutral. And I repeated that because we tend to miss that point along the way. But we can't just turn a blind eye to a sinful and corrupted world. We aren't supposed to sit back and just... Let it burn, as it were. As Paul reminds the church in Rome, so he reminds us that we are not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of the mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. This spiritual transformation by which we are able to discern, it is an ethical transformation as well. It means a fundamental non-conformity to this world, rejecting the dominant social order or societal norm when they run contrary to scripture. When they run contrary to... To the word of God. When they contradict the will of God himself. That in and of itself requires not only discernment. But also judgment on the part of the believer. Why? Well because this new creation... It is not intended to be silent or quiet. It's not intended to be disinterested or dispassionate about sin and iniquity in the world. It's not supposed to look on it and just then look away as if it's not their concern. We're not intended To see wickedness and corruption, regardless of the form that it may take, and say, well, you know what? That's not my concern. Or, who am I to judge? It's not my place to judge anyone or anything. To behave in that manner? is not only sinful, ignoring the judgment and the word of the Lord, ignoring the Great Commission, which tells us to go forth and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe that which Christ himself commanded us. An act which, in and of itself, is meant to point an individual to their sinful nature, so that they are able to repent of it. It is also a fundamental act of cruelty and hatred against one's fellow man. Now, you may say that's not right. After all, this is all coming from a place of acceptance which is in turn a manifestation of love but the point that we so often seem to miss is that acceptance isn't love acceptance is simply acceptance and even there Even there, we have a tendency to selectively apply acceptance where it's convenient to us, to the point where we may recognize one sin, but make all sorts of excuses as to why we shouldn't recognize another. For example, we may say, You know what? It's a sin to murder. But then, in the same breath, we'll continue by saying, But it's not our place to judge abortion, which is a form of murder itself. What we have to realize is that this isn't coming from a place of love. No. No, not at all. It's coming from a place of complacency and a desire to avoid confrontation. And if it's not coming from there, then it's coming from just simply a place of disobedience on our part with no other excuses for it. It's coming from a place of disobedience that puts our own subjective truth, our own subjective biases over the objective truth and the foundational morality of God. And either way, either way, what we are in those moments saying is that we don't care. We don't care about the spiritual well-being or the eternal soul of other people. And that, that is brutal. Brutal brutal cruelty, which ultimately is saying we don't care if we condemn them to hell. Now, none of this is to say that we should be vicious or callous in our judgments, which can be an inclination that we have. It's incredibly easy for us to let our righteous anger turn into sinful anger as we confront certain situations and circumstances. In all our judgments, we must let love be our guide. Because love, real love, not whatever it is that we're defining it as today in our world It does speak hard truth and harsh reality as Christ Himself did. And we, well, we are to be imitators of Christ. And so we must confront these sins, but we must confront them in a manner which. A manner which seeks to draw the sinner back to God. And that does take on different forms. And that does take on different dimensions and angles. And it takes spiritual maturity and spiritual discipline on our part. As I think about it, I think about Christ's words when he was questioned by the Pharisee as to why he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And he said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but rather the sick, before telling them to go and learn the meaning of, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. As he was a doctor for the soul, so too must we practice the same sort of spiritual medicine calling the sinner to righteousness. This may on occasion mean some pain or some discomfort before the healing can occur. But more often than not, it also has to be met with some form of a bedside manner. Now that's not always going to be the case, or Christ would have never turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple. But it should really ultimately be our default mode in confronting these things. The truth, the plain, simple truth, is that to say it's not our place to judge is to abjugate our responsibility as Christians, it's to dismiss our responsibility. As followers of Christ, it's to just cast it aside and say that it's not important. Judging, when it's properly understood, properly recognized, and properly applied, is of the utmost importance for the believer. Because it, in turn, allows us to do the gospel work bringing a message of repentance and salvation to a lost and fallen world. The failure to recognize that is the beginning of a fall into this world whereby we are more moved by it than we are moved by the power of the Spirit and the Word of the Lord. But then that's all I really came on here to say. I want to thank you for taking the time to join with me. And I want to remind you that you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube by searching for Wyatt McIntyre. On Twitter, I'm at Wyatt McIntyre. My Facebook page is facebook.com backslash pages backslash Wyatt McIntyre. And on YouTube, I'm youtube.com backslash Wyatt McIntyre. You can also find me on the web at wyattmcintyre.com or ourtimelessfaith.com I'm hoping to actually launch my Substack in the next few days so I hope that you'll take the opportunity to join with me there and see a couple of the pieces that I post in the coming weeks but until we meet again may the peace of the Lord that peace that transcends all human knowledge understanding and wisdom Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, even unto life everlasting. Amen.